Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Kosowski here with the host with the most. Is that better? Or the, the, ho- <laughs> the host with the most who watch Space Ghost. There's some poetry to start today. There you go. Mr. Courtney Small is here with me, of course, today. And we are going to do our third and final show on this year's Hot Docs International Film Documentary Film Festival. It started last week, and it's going strong until Sunday. So do not despair. There's so much to see. A lot of things are having their final screening. So all that buzz that you've heard and all the buzz that we're going to help create today or add to to tell you what films are still must-sees. If you haven't seen them yet, we've got tons of them. Okay? So we're going to start with a big one. Yeah, one of the... um I guess highly touted films, Knock Down the House. And it's a film that looks at four um, female candidates in 2018 who decided to run for Congress because that was a, a big year for women, minorities, and just general outsiders to run and kind of shake up the political system. And, of course, one of the four women was a young bartender by the name of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, better known as AOC to those mm-hmm. on, on Twitter. And you follow her, um, Corey Bush, and two other ladies as they go through the campaign trails of rigors and you know being newcomers, dealing with a, a system that is flawed in many ways. And we see how they go everything from like door-to-door knocking to dealing with debates where the candidates don't show up. It's uh it's they really can't be bothered. They yeah. can't be bothered because they're so used to to winning that you know, and they're rarely challenged that they don't even consider these women a valuable threat. But as some of them learn the hard way, you know, you can not underestimate or take anything for granted when it comes to, to politics. And it's it shows I guess the the darker side of politics in many ways. The the, the stuff that people get tired of the politicians like the ones who kind of show face but don't actually care about the communities they represent and what i liked about this film is it's filled with a lot of hope and optimism yeah and that's not what i expected to get out of it like you you follow these women through their ups and downs and you by the end of it you walk away hopeful that there's a whole generation of people coming up who are who are just tired of the way politics are right now and want to get back to, you know, empowering the people and actually fighting for issues that impact people's day-to-day lives. Yeah, what I really appreciated about the film was the way that it focused on grassroots kind of um, the, the fight, the spirit, the the efforts on everyone's part, the hard, hard work that everybody put into all the details that it takes, you know, as you say, the knocking on the doors, every every effort it takes to try to get attention, especially because these women are running against the well-known candidates. And a lot of people just are used to, well, I've been voting for that guy forever, and I'm, I don't see why I should, I should stop. Um, but I think what I, I really appreciated about it uh, was the spirit you know, the spirit behind everyone's efforts, not just the candidates, but this they were like the candidates were the driving force. And the people behind them were driving just as hard, you know. It was like 
the, the, this effort that you don't see because everything's so tired when you, you know when you use the word tired that is such an important word in this film because we're tired they're tired the the voters are tired and the incumbents sort of are tired they're they're worse than tired but in a way you could call them tired because they don't have to say anything different they just have to show up or not show up at it. Why should they bother to show up to a candidate's meeting? They're going to get the votes in their minds, right? And so it's this tired old system, I guess, that that's what I'm trying to say, that people are trying to fight. And, and in, a, in a weird way, I think that uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, actually gets a She's more of the backbone of the film. Yeah, she's I definitely the, they, the central figure. She's the central fig- figure, even though the film tries valiantly Right. To go between all the stories and all the um, campaigns that are happening in the different districts where the other women are. And but still somehow it I found and maybe it was just me knowing this candidate, knowing this individual more from the television that I knew the other other people um, that she gives me hope. I felt like the the film brightened up. Every time we went back to her story, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know if that's actually a fault of the film. I, I it's don't, kind of wise to focus on her. Yeah, I think the obviously those who don't like her for various political reasons, depending on their political affiliation, might, you know, scoff at this and go, oh, it's just another movie praising her. But you actually see her coming from the ground up. You know, you you see her working as a bartender, taking up the trash, and you realize how much her rise symbolizes a lot of what is lost in American politics. And the the one thing I liked about this film is, regardless of your political affiliations, I think it inspires everyone to request more out of their politicians. Yeah, because there's too many politicians that we see in this film that not only take the their opponents for granted, but they take their communities for granted. They don't really speak to the issues that impact their um, constituents on a day-to-day basis. They, they go up there in Washington, they play the political games, they get on TV, they might vote for one or two things, but they also vote for some horrible things that impact their community that they don't even acknowledge. Whereas, no, but also that the, the community, in some cases I saw the cynics, Yes. The, the cynical voters, you know, and it was it, go back to the word tired. It was it was like how, how I feel sometimes mm-hmm. that part of me was the cynic approaching the film. OK, another political documentary. OK. And yet it woke up in me and you could see that once you see these women interacting with their communities and bringing up the issues that the people actually want to talk about. But don't even expect to be able to. And once they realize that, hey, I can talk to her about this. Mm-hmm. And this can be part of the campaign. This can be something that she's fighting for and therefore gives me a reason to vote for her. That that whole blossoming, you know, and that anti that combating of the cynicism is uh, such a, a great aspects of the film it's really really important yeah and all the all four of the women that they follow are all people that 
again, take away whatever political party they're representing. I guess in this case, they're, I believe they're all Democrats, but they all have issues that impact everyone. Like one one uh, woman's a coal miner's daughter, and she's talking about how pollution has caused a lot of cancer in her community. Uh, another one saw the, the riots at Ferguson and is realizing that nothing's being changed. There's questions about health care. And like these are all people that are impacted deeply by what's going on in their environment. It's not like they're just there to get on TV or for ratings. You know, they're, they're not there to be stars. They're just there to fix a community that no one seems to care about. I know. And isn't that refreshing? Mm-hmm. Someone who actually cares about what they're talking about and knows they've, they've taken the time to find out or they've been affected. And then they've taken the time to say, I'm affected. I know people who are affected. And therefore, I know this is important. And nobody else is going to do it. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Very important film. Yeah, it's definitely, let's say, probably the most upbeat film that I, I saw. Because some of the other films that I'm going to talk about are, they make you look at the world in a little more of a uh, worrisome place so I, that's okay you know what you you go to that worrisome place and i'll bring us back to the inspiration it's not all hopeful but okay i'll, I'll throw in the inspiration at the end um well one i'll mention is um toxic beauty which is a documentary that looks at the hazards in the cosmetic industry and not it doesn't just focus on makeup but it talks about everything from baby powder to deodorant to soap to toothpaste and how a lot of these products are laced with chemicals that are bad for our house and because the image of beauty especially western beauty the blonde hair blue eyes is what are being what is being sold to women they are more susceptible to this so they they compare it in the film this this crisis to cigarettes when people were questioning whether or not there is, um, if nicotine is dangerous. And the companies kept saying, no, no, no. And then you find out that a lot of people were becoming addicted, getting cancer, all this. They're saying that because this impacts so many people, especially so many women, this is this crisis is actually bigger than the tobacco thing. And they have stats to back it up. And they talked to physicians. They talked to one woman who ended up having... I believe, I want to say she had a, a lump on her breast that was related to some, some of the skin cream products. She was using, I think, up to like 30 products a day because it was ingrained to her from her mother that you always had to look presentable. Which means putting on all that. Even mm-hmm. yeah, even skin cream. It is amazing. Yeah. And when you think about how screen, skin cream is marketed, there's like certain foundations that you put on. So in the morning, you put this on. And then when you're putting on your eyeliner, well, you need this to puff up the cheeks and lip gloss. Like there's no, but and there's even a lot. The, the stuff that, you know, for your hands, your hand well, lotion, like yep. you got hands, but you got that. That can't be the same stuff as for your neck. Mm-hmm. And that can't be the same stuff as for your elbows. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they talked to one woman who, uh, she's American. I think at one point she comes to Canada to talk to people. And she grew up in the era where, um, baby powder, was was highly promoted especially for for women from a young age and she was like well my mother taught me that you know you're supposed to put baby powder on certain parts of your body and she was doing that for years not realizing that the body is absorbing it and they had um i think it's talcum powder that is 
one that since the 60s, Johnson & Johnson has known is a dangerous chemical. Is that the same one that they put on babies? Yes. Because that's the problem with the indoctrination about baby powder. It's like, well, you put it on babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when I was young, like that, you know, group in the air where that was still being used. I think nowadays it's not as it's not promoted as much. And I think probably no, because of people know <laughs> of that. But you know, you, you've had this one for thirty five years using baby powder, and Johnson Johnson knowing that you know it's been raised since the sixties and nothing has really been done about it. So it's a really eye opening documentary um, that you know they they talk a bit about leading into like using more cleaner products. Mm-hmm. Like this one particular woman does a test and she actually goes a day where she uses products and makeup that's supposed to be quote unquote clean chemical for and they actually show that yes, you know, whatever the levels that were in her system get reduced when she uses those products. So there are things on the market that you don't have to stop Is using. there does the film outline first of all the science? Yes. Uh, and how well does it do that? And then does it outline how easy it might be or may not be to find the clean stuff it doesn't dive into how easy it will be to find the clean stuff but they they make several references to that companies are if you if you especially now in this digital age you can find companies that are are using i guess chemical free type soaps and detergents but it's just getting the major companies getting the advertising that you see in every magazine you know that it's breaking that cycle Mm -hmm. and letting women know that you you have to be careful of what you put on your body and and men too. Um, like that's the men stuff men are they, using the stuff more now. Yeah, like so the creams and stuff. The creams, yeah. the deodorants, and types of soap. So it's it's an eye opening film. I I remember after watching it, telling my wife, "Well, do we have this? This? This is like I just <laughs> I pretty much I, you almost want to just grab everything in your house and throw it out the window because yeah. chemicals." But but is it clear about which chemicals? It talks about. The various chemicals, like they highlight talcum powder. There's another one. There's at least two or three that they are like major ones that they highlight. But so they the acknowledge, film, you see the film, yeah, yeah. But they acknowledge that th- these are just four of fifty dangerous chemicals that are you can find in all these products. So one last question. Mm. Um, I know that there are varying levels of different kinds of makeup, and mm. some of them are very expensive. Now, does it give you an idea of the price range? Like, for example, do you have to be rich to find, to be able to afford the clean stuff? Mm, they don't go into the price range, but I, I get the sense that if you can afford the Revlons or even the knockoff Revlons, then you should be able to afford. I, I guess with everything, you have to price it out. Like yeah. They don't go into... because yeah, you have to be careful with products, right? And yeah. sometimes, like when it comes to organic vegetables, uh, you know, as a completely other kind of product that, that people consume, poor people can't buy organic. That, and that is true. But even with with cosmetics, like you have to also factor in how how much is your health cost you? Like, you know, is it if if you, let's say, buy lipstick for... Three dollars. I'm just throwing it out there. It's like a high, you know, high end thing. Try but, ten okay. <laughs> as <All> a right. <laughs> minimum. Okay, pay ten as a minimum, and then the the clean version is fifteen. You know, is okay. your health worth the fifteen? Okay, but like as long it's, as it's yeah. not fifty. <laughs> but you have to think about the amount that you would, the side effects of of trying to save money. 
I know, but just you know what I pretty. mean, right? Yes, like, no, I, 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 there's, a, like there's a, a lot of people that would say that. Yeah, between ten dollars and fifty. Right? Yeah, exactly. And it's they don't go into that. This is more just a. We need to let the the public know that this is a serious epidemic that's not being addressed. Okay, but this is a must see for you, right? Yeah, it was good. It was. It was. I don't know if I would say it was a must see, but it was an eye opener. And I think that alone, uh-huh. like, you know, it'll spark a lot of conversation. And I think that's really what it's intended to do. So it, it succeeds on, on that level. Excellent. Okay. Um, I will say, if I do label one a must-see, I will say On the President's Orders is a must-see. And now that is a film that plays like a, a crime thriller. Uh, it opens with a footage of a drive-by shooting where these two guys roll up on a motorcycle and they shoot a man. I believe it looks like he's in a, like a kind of rickshaw cat taxi cab and you find out that he has a little baby in the car um, or a a younger child in the car and if it was fiction you would think oh well this is something you've seen in Scorsese film but it turns out not to to spoil things but it's uh, the whole film is focused on the Philippines and how President Duterte is doing a crackdown like a war on drugs but to to Duterte the drug there's no difference between the drug dealer and the drug user so the whole film is about police brutality on a insane level and you follow various officers and how they're supposed to be doing reform because the death toll is just ridiculous so they're all on a campaign to quote-unquote reform but as you start to follow them and you see the practices and stuff and then you start to hear from some of the individuals some of the poor who are like these guys come down and harasses constantly and you know they they put you people on list to quote-unquote check and see if they're clean now or but they put them on the same list of like known drug dealers and you start to hear about different raids at night and then unmarked vehicles and drive-by shootings and it's just uh, the level of corruption is is shocking and the fact that it's based on real life is is what makes it really horrifying Mm -hmm. you know if you're thinking of this film you're like okay um, CD cops, what have you, there'll be a hero here, but this film just takes you into the, the muck, but it's done in a, a really fascinating way. Mm-hmm. And it's not its not even that long. Like it's, I, I want to say it's maybe an hour and a half tops. Right. But Does it give you a sense of how, how could they get this kind of information? Well, they it's its twofold. Like they, they have known people, and I guess also informants and whatnot, and there's just general people on on the list, but then there's also they use that list to kind of check up on people, and they don't even know who's alive or dead on the list. So they kind of laugh if you know, like, oh, so and so's he he died. You know, like the cops laugh at death like it's nothing. You know, to them. Whereas you you see some of the poor people or some of the people who are have family members that are drug addicts, and there's not even like any chance for a re- reform. It's the cops come around and you know. They're, and they're in a trigger-happy mood, you don't know if you're going to see that relative ever again. So how do the filmmakers get this kind of access? I don't know. And that's what are I you was... Se- so you're seriously you're following these cops? You are following... You're following... The, the filmmakers are there with them. You're following one uh, police chief. You're, fo- you're following, like, a special task force sergeant, a SWAT team member, and then you see the leader of this, quote-unquote, youth gang... But there's really just a group of um, homeless kids. And the oldest one is just kind of like they're the leader. But 
in the police eyes, they're considered a gang, even though they haven't really done anything serious outside of survival. And then you start to, and you also meet a few other people who had family members that were drug addicts or like you, you follow the cops as they do particular raids. And it's just a, a, a fascinating expose. And I, I wonder if maybe because the cops were trying to do this big reform, we're going to try and kill less people and crack down on the numbers that that's why they brought the, the film crew in. To document, then the way that but, you're explaining how they were laughing, if so, oh, but then. yeah, it's just because they, you know, they didn't. The cameras were there, but I think they didn't really register that the cameras were there we're, because you know, it's as so. In documentary, yeah, people get used to the. They're cameras. so used to it, and plus, it, they're it's this is their daily lives, right? So mm. even like not every cop they showed there was corrupt, but even a good cop in that system, it's very tough for them to to thrive. Wow, this is like a, like a one of a kind documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, really really well done, and I believe PBS has the rights to it, so it might be on Frontline or one of their programs if in the near it. future. If you miss it at Hot Docs, but otherwise you go to hotdocs.ca. Yes, on the president's order. And the last one again is, is crime related. Uh, trying to bring a slightly more optimistic ending to the films I saw. It's a Canadian film called Conviction. And it focuses on women in prison. And then they specifically look at a, I think, Nova Scotian um, prison community where the filmmakers bring in you know, film cameras, art supplies. They use poetry. And they're, sh- and they're showing like how they're trying, how certain prisons are trying to um, rehabilitate their female prisoners. But th- in doing so, they're not really doing a good job of... F- thinking about what happens afterwards so these women have a lot of hardship and they kind of end up in a vicious cycle where they're released and they go back to the vices that got them in prison in the first place and then they're back in the system like how there's not there's not too many um transition houses set up and you follow i think five distinct women um one is indigenous um one is lgbtq like there's just one was um pregnant at the time of filming. So you see the ups and downs and you also, they also talk to, I think one or two correction officers and you just see how the system, both at a provincial and federal level keeps failing these women and more and more prisons in Canada for women are going up at a, at an alarming rate and governments are, instead of, following mandates that are supposed to help reform they're just making things more everything more prison like almost kind of like following the the u.s model of just build a prison build a prison and right. not really focus on how to get yeah not get have them. alternative solutions yeah. when when people are are in trouble and some of those people need alternative solutions like some of the some of them are dealing with addiction some are dealing with abuse trauma from abuse some are dealing with mental health issues like you know these are things that simply locking people up does not solve no it makes it worse and then when they're released you give them what a bus ticket they have no place to go and for them to get a job or social insurance they need housing well in order to get housing you know you need to have social insurance so it's like it's just a, a really vicious cycle but again even with all the hardship that film still finds a way to put a sense of hope in for these women like not all these women are going to make it but you, you still feel hopeful that a few of them will. How? 
How? Uh, without giving it away. Without, well, you, because of what you've described is is the horror of reality. That's yes. the reality we know, and it's horrible. Yes. Well, through how is there a hint of hope? Well, through the the art that they they do, like some fine painting, poetry. Um, one, a couple of them get film cameras to film, like you know, through art provides them an outlet for a lot of the pain. And then there are some that find their way to certain programs that may or may not work. But the fact that they even get to those programs is a step in the right direction. And I won't tell you what happens there. No, but no, please. But no. you, you still walk away going, there needs to be change. But you don't walk away thinking that, well, all these women in prison, their lives are doomed. You know, like this film wants you to believe that these women are worth saving. We need to to champion political powers to, you know, start building the facilities to allow transition to to really help reform, and not just throw them away, release them, and then lock them back up again. Wow. So yeah, it's it's conviction. And it's a Canadian film, and it was quite quite good. Wow. Also, what you were saying about you know people in this sort of uh, locked up. Um, no hope kind of situation and how to cope in those kinds of situations. Okay, it's a stretch, but it sort of is an interesting segue into my experience talking, and I'm going to talk about Gaza. Okay. Um, Because in Gaza, the film, it's it's about life in Gaza. Now that they're comp- the whole area is completely blocked off, it's under siege, right? Mm-hmm. And Israel has just sort of closed them off from everything. Uh, they can't go anywhere. Nobody can go there. You know, like they're completely under siege. Um, and so you, it focuses on d- the daily lives, uh, everyday lives of regular people, how they're trying to cope. So there's frustrations. There's hopes and dreams. There's pain and suffering. Um, but there's a resilience, you know? And even the way that, that it's filmed, it's, it sort of has this uncanny knack of, uh, of giving you, work, like, poetic mm-hmm. and troublesome images coexisting, just like those those feelings, those poetic, like, beautiful things and troublesome things coexisting amongst yeah. this, this group of people that by, you know, by history, by chance, not by chance, but by history, by the circumstances of a certain history are in this sort of, it is like a prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it does in focusing so so greatly and so so wonderfully candidly on individuals is is that it reminds us that it reminds us that it's not just a political um, problem in a part of the world. It reminds us that there are actual people involved yep. on both sides, and this side personally i don't think gets talked about enough the Palestinian side. Well, especially the climate that we're in right now, it's it, yeah. they they definitely do not get talked about in a favorable light from no, a media it's perspective. Always, yeah, it's always the terrorists, mm-hmm. terrorists, 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 and it's like, um, 
But when you factor in like do. the history, it's it's a lot more complicated. It than is, that, and you know? It, you know, and then when you consider what, and this is completely out of uh, off topic, mm-hmm. you know, what desperate what desperate situations do to des- to people, like yes. what desperate people will do in desperate situations, which that's another discussion. Um, but yeah, so instead of of seeing that that kind of daily life and existence, you see regular stuff and people sitting around and talking about, well, how am I going to feed my family if there's not enough food and there's not enough food in this area? Mm-hmm. And, there, you know, and there's sort of these realities and you just it, there's this sort of rhythm of life that the, that the film sort of takes on, builds up and gives you. And like I said, the resilience of this particular group of people that that it represents that area it just it, it helped me, you know, in this time of cynical politics and, and, you know, people, such hatred and everything. It just gave me sort of like hope for humanity. And I just wish everybody would watch this film mm-hmm. on both sides. Just watch the film and remember what you're talking about. You're talking about people. Yeah, because that, that's the the aspect that usually gets lost in the the rhetoric when we're talking about politicians and presidents and who's siding with who we don't really think of like the the day-to-day life yeah of of the of those individuals and the children mm-hmm. and the children who have to play in the sand because there's nothing else to do i was just thinking even think when you're talking about like the food is like well yeah how does the food get in there if you have to if everything's like walled off mm-hmm. yeah the little little things like that and the desperate attempts to go fishing mm-hmm. but israel has imposed a 3 mile limit what can you fish in the three mile limit? Not a lot. There's yeah. not a lot there, and uh, and so you know what kind of hope does this give for the future if they can't, uh, the kids can't learn from their fishermen fathers, or they try and then there's no fish, mm-hmm. so there's no point going out fishing, and so it just shows you the the logistics of how things can carry on. And things that you don't want to carry on happen, and yeah, no, no, wait, what's going on with this generation now will be transformed and passed on to the next as well. So it's like you're you're creating a, a cycle of hardship. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it. So I think you know Gaza is a must see film, and uh, it is having another screening. So, and watch out for that one. I, it's it, a lot of people have been talking about it, so I'm sure that it'll be picked mm-hmm. up for another reason if you happen to miss it at this festival. Um, and I just want to end on this amazing film about this amazing woman and, you know, talk about faith in humanity and heartbreak and, you know, looking for hope. There's a film called Maxima. Mm-hmm. And Maxima is a woman who lives in the Peruvian highlands, an indigenous woman who had to actually buy her own land and it happens to be in the same area as this giant mine one of the biggest mines in the world and it's owned by this ginormous corporation and they need to expand and so when she bought the land you know she actually bought it she has a deed but then the corporation, which of course, you know, the film shows you how the corporation gets into the politics. Like, is they, everything's all wrapped up, right? In terms of the the overall corruption of how insidious 
corporations and governments and policing and all that, how that all gets twisted around. And yet you have this one individual and her family. And all she knows how to do is live on the land. She respects the land. And that's like this amazing part of the film, Um, watching her and hearing her talk about the land. And yet... She is fighting this ginormous corporation, and they're using every dirty trick in the book. And she—it's like it's—it's it's like she's facing, you know, a giant impossible wall. And yet she still keeps fighting. Mm-hmm. And she does eventually get, you know, people know her story, so people join in and and come in and help her out. But it's just like the impossible situation she's in, and yet she won't—she won't give in. It's one that I've I've heard a lot of people raving about, and it's it's currently leading the um, audience choice. It is votes. So, there, and we'll, I understand. We'll see why. if it, it sticks there, but yeah, it's that sounds really fascinating. It's like a call to action. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, for all of it, and we can all relate in some ways because. And she's also fighting. She brings up issues about environmental, like problems, because that's. I mean, what does mining do? All. And what has this company done in Peru? All the damage that it has done to the land, to the waterways, which, you know, extends into the communities around her, around the company. So there's other families and and in terms of like Like health problems and health problems, like all of it. So all of these things. And yet it appears that there's no way to stop this corporation. So this is the the fierce and fantastic Maxima. I think yes, it's it's the audience award. It's the top of the list right now. Right and now, I, we'll see if it can hang on till uh, the end hang of the on festival. It, it's got one more screening, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you, if you have to extend, if you have to sleep over and, and be the first <laughs> in the rush line to get in there, you, I think you got to do it because seeing this with the festival crowd. Especially, will be like. I think she's still here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think she's still here. So I think you know, in terms of must sees, this is the must seest of all the films. Mm-hmm. If I can just create a word there for no, a second. No, no, that's all right. <laughs> all right. So I think I think we've covered it. Yeah, there's still plenty more films to see. Go visit um, hotdocs.ca. And you can get the full schedule for the the remaining films and also see what's leading the audience award. All right. So that's it for us, right? Yeah, that's it. Thank you for listening and uh, come back next week.